We all possess a spiritual life to one degree or another, a moral inwardness informed by religious sentiment or lack thereof, intellectual concepts and opinions rooted in experience. I've heard it said that the mark of sanity in the modern world is the ability to hold as many contradictory notions in your head as you can at one time and still keep functioning. If that's true, and I think it is, then surely it's a bid for sanity to seek a time and place to reflect on the spiritual dimensions of li our lives in a way that might help us keep a grip on the contradictions. Many people seem willing to forgo this effort, apparently content with the, the versions of consumption and entertainment offered nowadays. But others feel a compelling need for something more. The difficulty, however, is a matter not only of learning the habits of reflection and the skills of introspection that can help us discover what more there might be, but also the of finding the time, the place, and the circumstances that make it possible for us to reflect on our deepest cares and concerns. I was lucky. I had stumbled onto pilgrimage. I found not only a practice, but also a time and a place and a set of circumstances that allowed me to retreat temporarily from the modern world and to foster a more reflective mindset. In this regard, I can agree with the scholar George Greenia, a professor of modern languages at the College of William and Mary, about the value of pilgrimage. I am now a true believer in times invested outside our professional and familial routines, he writes. Well used as a corrective to our usual mindless trotting around, these interludes of pilgrimage can get us to stride past our accustomed selves. The journey forces us into silence, makes us put down our books, abandon our computers, and may lead us to a disciplined reimagining of the life and habits of another age. Welcome to episode 43 of Further Reflections, Life's Classroom. I'm your host, Mark A. This episode is being released on April the 5th, 2020. The podcast is released on a monthly basis. It's been an interesting month to be sure when I, I thought I would have a break from Further Reflections because I was supposed to be traveling to the United Kingdom to visit uh, family in England. And obviously a lot has transpired with the coronavirus, COVID-19, and many countries are now in lockdown as you're listening to this, including where I am in Ottawa, Canada. So that trip to the United Kingdom never happened. And actually myself, along with many other people, have some time on our hands because we're not uh, at work right now or pursuing other uh, interests outside of the home. In this podcast, I thought there were some parallels between what's going on now with 2008. In 2008, I was in a bit of a transition year. I was getting discouraged with my kind of ESL teaching career. I wanted more professional development, but I was also worried about the state of the world and especially peak oil and a potential collapse of industrial civilization. It really uh, consumed me at the time. And I went to Poland to do something called the CELTA course, and I'll talk more in detail about it here. But uh, I kind of found I had fallen for a woman there and kind of wanted to settle, but that resulted in quite a difficult uh, rejection. And that kind of led me to spend some time uh, contemplating these issues that I was talking about even further when this whole financial crisis was going on as well in 2008. 
and the financial crisis, or what they might call Great Recession, colored the next several years and made it sort of difficult to find work at one point when I was actually moved to Poland to teach English. You'll hear how I taught English for a year in Warsaw, Poland, and about eight or nine months in Krakow, and how Warsaw was very difficult professionally, but Krakow was more of a redemption. You'll also hear about other interesting cities in Poland, like Gdansk and Zakopane, Łódź and Poznan. Again, this sort of feels now like the collapse people were predicting kind of feels like we're sort of living in a kind of collapse, which is not really a collapse with this whole COVID-19. Things like things are kind of but has the potential risk to fail and things could be pretty hard. Again, people are talking about another, if not a recession, maybe even a depression, and this is not good. I know some people find something spiritually fulfilling in this time, and that's great, but a lot of people, it's a very precarious time, and uh, you do get used to it, but at the same time, there is quite a bit of uh, worry and anxiety. Uh, I'm a bit of a lone wolf sometimes, but at the same time, I do like to be around people and get out of the house, and this is causing me some discomfort, maybe, or difficulties. During this podcast, I'm also going to mix in a couple of book reviews. Um, I thought they'd be interesting. They're both on the subject of pilgrimage, and both by the same author, Robert C. Sibley, Robert's a local author here in Ottawa. He's lived in Ottawa for a time. Writes, I believe, for the Ottawa Citizen, or did write for the Citizen newspaper. He's lived in different places in Canada and uh, overseas as well. I found out about him purely by happenstance because I saw a book at a library here in Ottawa on a pilgrimage in Japan uh, called The Way of the 88 Temples, and uh, six months went by and I decided I wanted to read that book and so I read it and then uh, that led me to read two other books by Robert C. Sibley, uh, A Rumor of God, which is a collection of essays, and also his book The Way of the Stars, Journeys on the Camino de Santiago. So I've read a book about a pilgrimage route in Japan that he took, which is very unusual for some Westerner to do that one and a more familiar pilgrimage route, uh, a more Christian one in Spain, the Camino de Santiago. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard a reading from The Way of the Stars towards the end of the book when he talks about maybe the value of pilgrimage. I hope you enjoy this podcast. It's, uh, it's interesting to reflect back on some of these experiences. If you like what you hear about Poland, you can go back to furtherreflections.net and look at some of my experiences in China preceding that. There might be something to learn uh, there. And at the final five minutes of the podcast, I'm going to play a song. I know a lot of artists have been live streaming, including an artist I like, Anche Duvacot from Massachusetts in the United States. And I thought I'd play uh, a song of hers. I saw a live stream of hers recently, and I thought I'd play a song of hers. It's sort of seemed fitting for this episode. It's a cover of the John Gorka song, The Gypsy Life. I'll play that at the end. You can look up Anche Duvacot on the various socials and YouTube. Look up uh, Gypsy Life Anche Duvacot uh, Amsterdam, and I think you'll find that video that I lifted this from. 
but there's lots of live performances uh, of Anche on YouTube. A lot of them are several years old now, but uh, still, she's pretty interesting. And uh, on my previous podcast, at least on one occasion, I played one of her songs there as well. So wherever you are in these interesting times, this is Marque of Further Reflections, and we'll catch you next time. Mark A. of Further Reflections, and in this podcast, we're going to be talking about my experiences teaching English for two years in Poland. I'll tell you how that kind of came to be, a lot of the difficulties, and a little bit of the highs as well. Uh, We'll start with um, just saying I taught English in Poland from 2008 to 2010. If you've been following this podcast at all, I shared I've been sharing my experiences as an English language teacher starting in 2004 when I moved to the city of Fuzhou, China. I spent three years in China overall. In a recent podcast, I talked about my last year in China, in Guangzhou, China. And around 2006, I started getting involved in uh, more environmental movement, uh, peak oil movement. And there were a lot of kind of dire predictions and uh, things that weren't very, well, kind of unsettling for me. And I was very worried about the state of the world, and especially suburban sprawl, as that's where I kind of grew up and was living in 2006, at least, in Canada. And I kind of wanted to escape that, but I couldn't really, truly escape that, even in Guangzhou, China. I lived in a place that was very kind of isolated from the main city. Guangzhou's a huge city, but I was living in a kind of university town, which was almost like a suburban type environment to me. I like Guangzhou, there were lots of positive things, but I also saw some things I didn't like, things about maybe China's development and China's, uh, the, the unsettling side when maybe China's uncomfortable with being in the world spotlight around the 2008 Olympics. So I left just before the Olympics and I wasn't sure. I'd. Uh, arranged for to do well I wanted to teach English in Europe because I wanted more professional development at the time in China I wasn't really getting any professional development I was kind of when I first started teaching it was a bit in over my head and I wanted more professional development at some schools they let you do whatever you wanted in China some of these universities which when I look back that's kind of cool but at the same time I wanted more structure I think I wanted to be a more professional teacher 
I'd heard about something called the CELTA course, Certificate for English Language Teaching for Adults, run by Cambridge University. And it took a, would take about a month to do this course, but in Europe it's kind of the standard, or it was in 2008 at least, the standard if you want to teach English at many language schools in Europe. So I decided to look into CELTA, and often they do it in the summer at different language schools in different countries, so you can be immersed in another culture, which helps. You can do practice teaching there. And I found something, I think it's called Cactus Languages, and I found they were offering, promoting the CELTA course being offered. And I looked at a few of them, including Slovenia, and uh, I can't remember the other places. So I know one was Slovenia that I looked at, but I also saw one in Wrocław, Poland. And I'd wanted to go to Poland before to at least visit, if not teach English. I had an opportunity to teach there in I don't know, when was it? 2006, I suppose. Someone, my mom knew a friend, a friend's son or something, who taught or lived in Zakopane, Poland, and could have maybe got me a job at a school there or something, but it, it never really panned out in 2006. And after 2006, I went back to China for a little bit. But I decided to, decide to when I left China, to go in August of... 2008 to Wrocław, Poland. Before going there, I flew to England. I have my mother's family in England, so I spent some time there. There was a kind of a mini family reunion, and it was quite wonderful. It was the last time all my mother's family was together in one place, or at least the immediate family. And my sister was there too. From uh, she also lives in Canada, but uh, I hadn't been back to Canada for a while then. But at this time, I went to England, stayed in England for like a month, I think. And then I decided to take a bus, which was like a 30-hour bus ride, from London to uh, Wrocław, Poland. And at the time, I couldn't pronounce the city. It looks like it's Roklaw, but if you look at the Polish pronunciation, and I may not even be saying it right now, Wrocław, Poland. This used to be, I think, part of, or at some point, it's a close to Germany and has ties with Germany. It used to be called Breslau at one point. It's an interesting city. When I arrived, I knew nothing. And uh, when I arrived, I was supposed to be met by someone who would take me to my uh, residence apartment. I didn't even know where I was gonna be living. It was supposedly an apartment they gave me for a month. And uh, it was a bit of confusion, but luckily I found the woman and she sent me a taxi into the into the unknown. And uh, when I got to Rotswav, I went in the apartment and I met my roommates. There was a, a girl there from Tianjin, China. And it was kind of quite interesting that a Chinese person would be there. I think in some way throughout the course I offered her some support because her English might not have been the best of the people participating in the course. It might have been, a, the course might have been a bit over her head, although she did graduate from the course. But I think there was some support there, and, and I knew some basic Chinese phrases, and there was some support there. Another girl was from Lublin, Poland, and she'll factor into the story in a minute. But I kind of got settled in uh, Wrocław, but the CELTA course was very intense, and in the CELTA course, we were doing, I think, f at least five days a week, plus we were doing all kinds of uh, 
learning all kinds of grammar. One of the things I never really did much in China was uh, grammar because it was more conversational English in uh, China. And in Wrocław, we were doing a lot of grammar. We were also teaching in a very structured way, which didn't always prove easy for me, even then and even after the course. We would do some practice teaching with students. We would also be broken up into groups. There were other interesting people in the course. So a lot of the people were Polish, and understandably, but there were some people that weren't. There was a guy who was already teaching in Wrocław, and he was from Scotland. There was a, a girl originally from uh, the United States, and there was a girl that I believe, yeah, her father was Nigerian, and she, her mother was Polish. So there was a a mix of uh, different kind of people. I was uh, quite taken by my roommate from Lublin as well as another girl from um, uh, Poznan, Poland. And they were kind of what I would call bohemian types. And this girl I was living with shared a lot of interests and it was quite tough because I felt like, well I was, uh, falling for this girl. And it made it very difficult to, uh, for me to uh, live and do the CELTA course at the same time. And I was kind of hiding this uh, feeling at the time. But it was kind of overwhelming. It's probably the most intense feeling I've had for s someone, really. Maybe even now. And I, I don't know. She shared a lot of similar interests. I thought she was very cool and very interesting person, very cultured and... She taught at a university and things like that. So I was like, wow, this is very cool. But I was really trying, and it was a four-week thing. I was really trying to suppress this. But I, I kind of thought maybe she was interested in me. But as the course went on, it made it very difficult to do the course. And at some point after the second week, maybe in the middle of going on to the third week, I think I just told her how I felt. And unfortunately, maybe, or whatever, I don't know, I, I was rejected at the time, which didn't feel good. Uh, years before, I wouldn't have even taken the chance to express my feelings, but this was a unusual situation. Maybe I was taking a risk, but it really hurt, and it made it very difficult to continue the course. Also, I kind of been trying to arrange a job in the Czech Republic, in the city of Bruno, even before I went to Poland, and it was a tentative offer, but I could have gone teach there, but it's, well, during uh, this course I was kind of, I don't know, I thought, hope this might work out with this girl, and then I kind of just gave up this job offer, so when the CELTA course kind of uh, ran its course, then I really didn't have uh, too many options, and I ended up, I was pretty distraught actually, so I ended up flying instead of taking this bus back to England and uh, you know I spent a little bit of time back in England again at my grandmother's house but at that point I decided to go to my father who lives in the Netherlands and this was also when the financial crisis was happening in the news pretty much around that time which was definitely not helping things because I thought Maybe this was the beginning of a, a worldwide economic collapse or or worse, which is what some of the peak oil folks had been predicting back when I was into that movement. People like maybe James Howard Kunstler and other people, which were an influence to me. 
And uh, another thing was influenced to me was the Sea Realm podcast at that time. And I was into podcasting then, and that Sea Realm really was the one that got me interested in podcasting the most at the time. Um, I, w I listened to a lot of episodes, and uh, one of the things they talked about was not just peak oil, but psychedelic culture, and that kind of factored into my recovery in the Netherlands, because I was getting really depressed, and uh, not only because of what happened in Poland, but because of the financial. I remember my dad just staring at the news as it looked like things were going to, markets were going to collapse, and the, the banks were, I don't know, on the verge of something, and it was not a good time. There are very parallels to now, actually, sort of. This is sort of more extreme, actually, right? What's happening right now in uh, April of 2020 with this COVID-19 and all this things shutting down, this sort of feels like the collapse that could have happened then even, but who knows if it's really a collapse, but it will definitely have an impact. I thought things were collapsing then. I spent several days in bed at one point. I could hardly get out. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then I remembered that, uh, and I don't know if I'm advocating this, but there were still some psychedelic substances that were legal at that time in the Netherlands, including mushrooms. And so I took some, and it actually got me out of, I didn't really have any visions or any, I don't know if I had any great insight, but somehow it actually motivated me to get out of bed, which was thankful for that. And so I actually, at the same time I was motivated, I did get an email from this girl that, rejected me in Poland and she was going to be in Gdansk and at the same time I was actually looking into going to Gdansk and uh, to look for work in Poland I wanted to get out and back to Poland uh, get out of this rut I was in and so I traveled probably close to two weeks maybe to Gdansk and Sopot and Gdynia which is all one area in Poland that's far from Wrocław, that's in the north of Poland, in the Baltic. But I went up to Gdansk, which was, it's quite interesting to be there. It's probably nice in the summer, but I was there in the, uh, actually around uh, October, or late October or something. So the weather was cool, it was fall. And uh, I, I was looking for work there. It got me off out of the, out of bed. It was kind of interesting. I met some people that were very nice to me, although I didn't really get a secure job out of this. I also went to the city of Olsztyn, which is maybe a three-hour train ride from Gdansk. This is in Missouri, which is the Lake District of Poland, probably the biggest city in that area. I found it a little bit run down. Even Gdansk was run down, but Gdansk has some nice churches. It was destroyed a lot in the war, as was Rutzwav, but they were rebuilt in a very nice style, really. I, I like uh, something about Gdansk. That weather, the Baltic is very interesting. It's somewhere. It'd be interesting going back to that part of the world, if of anywhere. Um, but I did meet up with this girl, and we kind of reconciled, and later we became friends, if you want to use that word, on social media and things. But I guess it was good to do that. And uh, I did go back to the Netherlands, but I was a little bit more positive. And I actually found two jobs when I got back. I didn't get a job when I went to Poland, but when I got back, I found two jobs that I applied for and got offered both of them, I think. 
I got offered a job in Biesko Biawa, in near, I guess in the south of Poland, not too far from Krakow, and another job in Warsaw. And I decided to take the job in Warsaw. One of the interesting things is that because of my experiences on the Celtic course, my dad wanted to do the Celtic course. He's that kind of person. And he decided that in, uh, I believe, November, yeah, he went in November of tw 2008, um, he went to uh, Sofia, Bulgaria to do the Celtic course. But the one he did was a six-week one rather than a four-week one, but it's still the same thing. And it was interesting because he left me alone for a while. So when I left the Netherlands to take this job in Warsaw, my father was in Bulgaria, and he shares pictures of that. He had his stories to tell about Bulgaria, too, and things like that. So let's leave that here for now, and you'll learn about my year, well, over a year in Warsaw, Poland, and how teaching there was was a challenge, how the uh, maybe the economic, uh, I don't know, the Great Recession, as they call it, had at some point kicked in and it was difficult to find work but uh, you'll hear more about Warsaw and later my year about a year just under a year in Krakow Poland this is Mark A further reflections This is Marquet of Further Reflections, and I'd like to talk about a book called The Way of the Idiot Temples, Journeys on the Shikoku Pilgrimage by Robert C. Sibley. This book was published in 2013. Robert Sibley is a local author in Ottawa, and this is the first book of his I read. He's written a few other books, which look pretty interesting. This book is chronicling where he spent uh, almost two months in Japan on pilgrimage on the island of Shikoku and he went on something called the Henro Daishi if I remember that correctly the wording and this is the version in Japan it's like the possibly the most famous pilgrimage route for Buddhists in Japan and uh, he must have hiked this uh, before 2013 he's a journalist primarily and his intention was to Maybe not uh, originally writing the book was to just be an observer, to be a journalist and chronicle what happened on the pilgrimage. But in the end, it turns into more of a personal journey, more of a spiritual journey. And I, the book is quite impressive because it's very detailed. And I imagine some people, if they went on a pilgrimage like this um, and they weren't prepared to document it, it could not be so detailed. And... Um, in a way, that's good, because we hear a lot about it. Um, the pilgrimage route contains 88 temples, although there are more on the island of Shikoku. Shikoku is one of the smaller islands in Japan. And apparently around, I guess, this pilgrimage route has been around for a long time. A lot of it ties with the, uh, the monk uh, Kobo Daishi, who lived in Japan, I think, around the 700s uh, A.D., and he was like maybe the Japanese version of Buddha. I think he did achieve enlightenment. And he helped to popularize and build some of these temples. Again, there are more than 88 temples, but these are like a pilgrimage that goes around the circle of the island. 
quite dramatic scenery and um, it sounds very interesting. I'd heard about Shikoku once before in a documentary, but this gives me a much more detailed account. And Robert Sibley is one of the few, uh, I think it's called Gaijan, one of the few foreigners who undertakes this route. Uh, maybe there's some, and there was a book I think written about it, but very few foreigners actually do this, mainly because it attracts mostly Buddhists. You can walk the route, or you can take a bus tour, or maybe do it by train as well. But a lot of people take bus tours and visit the temples. There's a whole uh, procedure which he documents in the book about uh, getting your passport stamped or your pass stamped at each temple, performing different rituals uh, when you arrive at each temple, and wearing the traditional clothing and staff of the pilgrimage route. This book is quite personal, and um, a lot of it's to do with him as a Westerner and how he's perceived in Japan and how he tries his best, but he's also used to certain creature comforts and things. But as the pilgrimage goes on, he basically uh, kind of loses himself in it. And um, some of the book is tied around the pilgrims he meets along the way. And uh, in particular, he meets a couple, a father and son. The father is... Um, on the pilgrimage with his son because the son has uh, behavioral problems and uh, is kind of a bit directionless. He may have some mental health issues too. And um, the the son is a bit reluctant to do this and uh, behaves in a strange way, but they become very close. And at some point uh, he becomes simply becomes attached to this uh, couple and they kind of view him as maybe an incarnation of Kobodayashi. It's a kind of someone that would uh, help people. And there's a word for this, which I don't have on hand, but to offer a kind of help to someone on the pilgrimage. And um, he's very kind of flattered that they, they view this way. And for much of the pilgrimage, I think they meet near the beginning, uh, This they walk the pilgrimage together, but also they do cheat a bit and take... Uh, public transport, buses and trains. And really the reason he does it is to help his friends. It's not because uh, he's really always that tired or that uh, uh, stressed on the on the walk, although that, that, that can happen. And, and in the first, say, half of the walk, he does get blisters and it shows the hardships of the walk because they're walking like could be 30 kilometers a day or more sometimes or something like that it's it's quite exhausting they people leave uh, quite early in the morning and uh, they arrive at their guest house in the mid-afternoon or something like that when it get, doesn't get too hot i suppose there's a lot of comparisons to this pilgrimage to another pilgrimage that sibley did which was the camino de santiago in spain and there's parallels between that and that might have been sort of inspired him to do this pilgrimage. Um, it's uh, definitely an interesting book. I would uh, recommend uh, having a look at it. It's also quite insightful in terms of a lot of it's to do with his perceptions of the Japanese, but also the way the Japanese perceive him, his language problems, and him kind of sort of finding himself. And there's even some moments where he flashes back to... Uh, certain points in his life uh, through the pilgrimage and even may meet some of the enlightened masters along the way which is uh, you know for some people uh, 
a little unbelievable, but I think he writes once you're in this pilgrimage mode, you know, different, it doesn't seem all that strange to, uh, to do that. A lot of people have died on the pilgrimage and there's gravestones all the way. And he does write about some of the hardships the monks had in terms of like initiations and things uh, on this pilgrimage and also in other places in Japan. There's a famous mountain where Kobodayashi founded, uh, or he's, I think his mausoleum is there, and he founded some temple which is now on the outskirts of Osaka, but I think at that time it, Osaka wasn't really a big city at all, if, if anything. But it kind of grew around this place, and that sounds like a also an interesting place to visit if you don't want to do the whole pilgrimage. The pilgrimage took maybe two, almost two months or something for Sibley and... For not everyone, that's not uh, possible. But uh, again, you could do parts of it uh, on uh, public transit, and there are tours, obviously, catering more to Japanese people. Some people do it when they're trying to find themselves in Japan. A lot of it's to do with them getting away from the hustle and bustle of the big cities of Japan and the stress of daily life. The book takes a kind of sad turn towards the end when we find out sort of um, what happened to some of these people that he met on the way and uh, it's a little uh, mournful, a little sad, uh, but uh, it is a well-written book and there's also some poetry that he shares in it, some, some that his friends wrote, some that he wrote, some that he's copying from other people, makes it uh, a little interesting. Definitely an interesting writer. Um, the book is called the Way of the Idiot Temples, and the author is Robert Sibley. And I hope you check that out. This is Marquet for the Reflections. This is Marquet for the Reflections, and I'd like to talk a bit about my time in Warsaw, Poland, teaching English as a second language, starting in 2008. I'd talked a bit before about my experience in the summer of 2008 in Wrocław, Poland, and how that was kind of challenging. I didn't really give my impressions too much of Wrocław because I didn't get to see too much of the city. I was uh, in class uh, learning how to teach English and uh, giving lessons and stuff maybe five days a week, and uh, on the weekends doing homework, and we were living just a bit outside the center of Wrocław, so I didn't actually get to see a lot of the city. What I did see, I really liked. Right in the main square of Wrocław, there's a vegan restaurant, which was kind of strange because that was like my first experience of Polish food. But Wrocław's kind of a nice city. It was rebuilt after the Second World War, and they put a lot of effort and uh, time into building it, I think. And it, it does show. It's one of the prettier kind of cities that I saw. There's this place, I think it might be called Cathedral Island, with some nice walks, and uh, I didn't get to go in the church there, the big church, because there was a wedding going on, but uh, at least I walked around and, and found it kind of pleasant. Of course, you're in a new country, kind of a bit over your head with the language and the, the food and customs and things like that, but I did get to somewhat appreciate Wrocław. Uh, I'd mentioned I'd fallen for this girl there and uh, been rejected. And that was kind of led me down a kind of uh, dark path, almost a sort of a lonely, d depressed kind of uh, path.
path for a while. I think uh, some of the reason I wanted to be with this person was because I was looking to settle because I was interested in peak oil and uh, environmental issues and people were saying there might be a kind of collapse and uh, I didn't want to, I really wanted to decide, well this is where I want to be and I kind of pinned my hopes on this uh, relationship which didn't quite work out. But I did manage to end up going back to Poland in November of 2008 to teach in Warsaw. Took a bus from the Netherlands to Warsaw and the school there was a fairly well-known chain of language schools and I found when I got there they were asking me to teach a lot of classes in company which was new to me. Actually this kind of teaching where you're doing a lot of by the book and grammar uh, was new to me anyway and I did kind of struggle especially because I was still wasn't over some of the events that happened in Poland that summer and I was actually struggling when I started teaching in Warsaw I did find Warsaw an interesting city. It's a big city, the biggest in Poland, the capital city. It's uh, kind of rebuilt in the Soviet style. There's some interesting buildings. It, it, people might say a bit depressing, but there's some interesting buildings, including the Palace of Science and Culture, right in the center of the city, which is, looks like a giant, I don't know, rocket ship or needle or something. It's, uh, it's a striking building. There's some really nice parks in Warsaw. The weather is a little cold. It was more in the north, and it can get a little grim there. When I spent the winter there, it was very cold, but there was no snow at that time, and that was kind of funny because, I mean, I don't like that kind of weather where <laughs> I'd like some snow if it's going to be, be cold, but it was just kind of grim the whole winter and I was struggling with the language teaching and fitting in as well and I was not at my best and uh, I was teaching in company uh, primarily at first at a place called Generali which is an insurance company and it was actually difficult I found I maybe didn't relate to some of the students uh, again I didn't have much practice apart from the Celtic course and maybe I could have done with more more time to hone my craft to say so it was kind of, I, I did that for a few months and then there was like a winter, maybe their version of a March break or something and it was several weeks off and I found out around that time that my contract, I was basically being demoted at the school because students were complaining, not just at Generali but at a few other classes I was doing at the school and uh, it was kind of hurt a bit because... Uh, I don't know, I was, I think, trying to my best, but it really is hard when you're a teacher to put aside your personal problems uh, and just uh, put on a good show for the for the students. I had trouble doing that, so I was kind of demoted, although they were all nice about it at the school. They didn't actually outright fire me, and I could stay in an apartment that I was renting from the school, which was good. So basically I ended up being kind of more, uh, instead of on a contract with a fixed salary, I was being paid per, I think per uh, lesson or something like that. And I did a lot of more, I don't know, we'd call it freelancing, but I did a lot more kind of one-on-one -on -one and smaller lessons and uh, picked up things here and there for the school. It wasn't actually a lot of money that I was making, which was just caused me some financial 
difficulties. And that was around the time of the financial crisis. So already things were pretty tough. But I did enjoy the one-on-one -on -one, uh, teaching lessons. They were pretty interesting. And uh, I found I kind of thrived in that kind of environment. And I met some interesting people. Some of those are in company too. And I actually did fine on that. It's kind of weird when some people tell you you're probably not a good teacher and other people tell you you're really great get some feedback it was kind of weird so I stayed in Warsaw and uh, maybe uh, I didn't do too many trips or anything but in the winter I did during this winter break I took uh, a trip to Krakow and Poznan Poznan I had two friends there at the time they were both living in Poznan I'd met them both on the Celta course got to meet up with them again that was kind of fun uh, Poznan is a little more I don't know rough around the edges than Rotswav didn't seem as wealthy maybe they have a nice main square with a nice town hall very striking building uh, I kind of liked the atmosphere of Poznan it's uh, I think a lot of the Polish kings were from Poznan and there's some really nice churches in Poznan very decorated in nice colors uh, I do like the city. It's the only time I ever went there. And Krakow, well, I went to Krakow and uh, found Krakow interesting too. And and it was winter, so it wasn't maybe the best time to be visiting, but I did like the city. It was a little more run down than I'd maybe expected. And I'll talk more about Krakow later because you'll hear that I accepted a job offer in Krakow about a year later and taught there for nine months, something like that. So you'll hear more about my experiences in that city. In Warsaw, I just uh, continued uh, teaching and exploring the city. Definitely got to see a lot of the city compared to my time in Wrocław. So I got to know Warsaw a lot better. I liked it. I mean, some people say the people in Warsaw aren't friendly. And Warsaw is kind of like Shanghai. Maybe a lot of people aren't really born there. They come just for business opportunities. It's definitely like a more of that kind of vibe there. Some people might not like that. But again, there are nice parks, some nice walks, some interesting neighborhoods. Uh, shopping is quite good. Uh, food's a little expensive, but I find that a little more cosmopolitan there. They're eating more maybe continental food. And uh, there's some Russian influence there. There's some Russian restaurants and things like that. They're quite quite interesting to uh, go to. I did like Warsaw. I also visited the city of Łódź, which is the film capital of uh, Poland. I'll talk more about film in po films when I talk about my time in Krakow, because Krakow is the, probably the best city I've ever lived in for being a cinephile, but uh, definitely they make a lot of movies, the Polish film industry in Łódź, and some famous filmmakers have come out of those schools there and stuff. It's an interesting city, very run down, but it used to be a tech, like a manufacturing hub, uh, textiles and things like that, I think, and a booming place with a lot of millionaires, but then it kind of fell into a bit of disrepair. Um, there's some really contrasts there, some interesting buildings from that time, maybe 100, 100 years ago or something, but still, it's... Uh, interesting place and also towards my the end of my time in Warsaw I uh, well towards the end of 2009 
I'd uh, basically uh, gotten a relationship with another girl and this one lasted a bit longer it maybe lasted six months and it wasn't uh, great in many ways but it did uh, provide me with some some fun times I got involved with a girl who was an interesting person a bit I don't know eclectic and there were some challenges but it did sort of help me maybe get out of the the rut from this previous rejection although it did the relationship did take a kind of a darker turn which I'll talk about a bit later but uh, that was there was that and then towards the end of the school year I was weighing my options with Warsaw I was thinking I would have to do uh, when I came back for the fall semester which starts in like September all the schools start hiring teachers and I thought I would have to find another job because I was just a, I wasn't under contract at this language school so I was sort of gonna look into that um, just before I left for the summer, we went to, with my girlfriend at the time, we went to a place called Campinos. And this is one of the places I felt most connected to nature. Campinos is maybe an hour's bus ride, just under an hour's bus ride. There's many ways you can get into it. Uh, an hour's bus ride from Warsaw, from the outskirts of Warsaw. And it's a forest. It's probably thousands of years old, a, a primeval place. And I went there and was just, I don't know, intoxicated and enthralled by the place. It just felt so different than anything I'd seen in Warsaw, maybe anywhere else, really. <laughs> there were insects there and uh, things like that I'd never seen anywhere else. There were, there were much bees that were very large and iridescent beetles and things like that. And it, there were a lot of birches and ferns and it's very green and... Just an interesting place. Apparently there are wild animals there too, which we didn't see. Uh, there are many ways of getting into uh, the park and we, or the forest, and we uh, took one way and, and walked. You can get lost there. It was a fascinating place. There were large ant nests, and I've been to the Amazon jungle later, and the ant nests there were bigger than anything I saw in the Amazon. Definitely felt in some way more exotic there than the the Amazon, but I, I wasn't in the deep uh, Amazon jungle. In that summer, I went to, I spent some time in England and the Netherlands, which is where my family's from. In England, I got to visit some interesting places, uh, Wales Cathedral and Glastonbury. That was pretty interesting. I also decided to do a course on Vipassana meditation through the website dhamma.org. Uh, an association that does uh, probably the most popular choice for Vipassana. Vipassana is a kind of, I suppose, a meditation. It's based around a teaching, I think, by the Buddha, but they say it's the only teaching that matters, I think, in Vipassana. You try to calm your mind through focused breathing, and uh, you try not to just observe and uh, let everything come, and eventually you can get in a certain state where, I don't know, what you call it, where you're just observing everything and uh, try not to attach to anything. I'd, I'd seen S.N. Goenka, the kind of the modern founder of the Vipassana movement back in, I think it was 2003 in Ottawa, Canada, as uh, kind of a tour he was doing. And uh, he's passed away now, but I did see him in 2003. That got me interested in Vipassana. At the time, I had explored Zen a bit in Ottawa, but 
never Vipassana, and I did that Vipassana course. In that course, you have to be, I think it's 12 days, and maybe 10 of those days are complete silence. They also separate the sexes. This one was in England. It was not an official retreat center. It was an old uh, kind of uh, school, like a boarding school, and I guess they used it in the summer. Interesting place. I met a guy there who I've still stayed friends with uh, years later, and we communicate quite frequently, at least on email. I have seen him once since the uh, Vipassana course in Brighton, uh, which I did talk about that trip in one of the episodes, somewhere around episode 11, England in the Netherlands. Uh, He's an interesting guy. We share some maybe spiritual interests, and uh, he's a bit of a freethinker, interesting person. In the Netherlands, I visited my father who's living he lives, he still kind of lives there, but he'd been living there since 1998. And I, at that time, we stayed in Rotterdam, where he lives, but I visited the city of Maastricht as well. We also visited Zeeland, which is the seaside area of uh, the Netherlands, and the city of, or the town of Zerik Zee, which is quite nice buildings, a little quaint place. That was always a nice trip, and uh, then I went back to Warsaw without really knowing if I really had a job and what was available, and it was kind of difficult. I kind of uh, was trying to maintain a relationship with this girl too, but it was proving difficult. Uh, It was kind of difficult, and I kind of wanted to break up with her, but at the same time I needed her for certain... I had to move her an apartment before I left for the summer, and she was helping me with that, and Communication was difficult in Polish. I didn't really know that many people, so I kind of stayed with her longer than I, maybe I should have. Um, it was a little lonely. Things were difficult, difficult to get jobs because of the financial crisis and things like that. Uh, I tried and was having not much luck picking up lessons. And I don't know, I was a bit discouraged with the whole teaching thing too, but... I looked at teaching jobs in other countries as well at that time in that fall and I remember having a couple of phone calls with a guy in uh, at a school in Saudi Arabia but it would have required me to go back to uh, Canada which I didn't really want to do Canada I might have had to come back for several months to apply for all the paperwork and the medical tests and the visas to go to Saudi Arabia although in Saudi Arabia it would have been a good uh, salary and they would have paid for a lot of things maybe I just wasn't ready for something like that uh, somehow I just stumbled upon a job in Krakow it wasn't uh, expected I'd actually had a list of schools that I thought were in Warsaw and one of them because I'd done a lot of research before about Poland and applied for different schools at some point I'd uh, I'd had a list, um, maybe I was researching different schools just to uh, apply for them, and I'd sent emails to these schools. Most of them I thought were in Warsaw, but one was in Krakow. Maybe I'd put it on my list from before, maybe I'd applied, I'm not sure, but they'd emailed me back and said there was a, a, someone was leaving and there was a vacant position available in November, so that was a little bit stroke of luck there. And so I... Still was trying to maintain a relationship with this uh, girl, but 
really I wasn't sure it would work out and we left it wasn't that great terms and uh, I left for Krakow <laughs> Warsaw I was having trouble paying my rent and things like that I don't know if I could have stayed at much longer than I did so I was lucky I got a contract there for a set amount of uh, money a set amount of hours so that was good it was a somewhat known language school maybe one of the older ones established ones in Krakow that I knew of but I uh, it looked okay and so I went to uh, Krakow in November of 2009 You'll hear more in a bit about how Krakow, there was some some kind of redemption there. It wasn't perfect, but it was definitely a less turbulent in many ways year, year or so than the previous summer and year in Warsaw. So we'll hear about that in a bit. This is Marque of Further Reflections. This is Marque for the Reflections, and I'd like to talk about the book The Way of the Stars, Journeys on the Camino de Santiago by Robert C. Sibley. You will have heard that I'd read, uh, before this, I'd read his book The Way of the 88 Temples, and I'd also read his book The Rumor of God, which I will not talk about in this series. That's kind of a bunch of essays, but really this, these two books, uh, The Way of the 88 Temples and The Way of the Stars, show uh, his reflections on different pilgrimages. I know in, in the way of the 88 temples, he was very conscious to document his experience, and it looks like he did that in the book, The Way of the Stars. But in The Way of the Stars, it's not, I don't know, he doesn't talk as much about being a journalist. A lot of it's reflecting on his pilgrimage um, s several years before the book was written. Um, it starts off with him and his son going on the Camino de Santiago, and then he reflects back how eight years before he had taken a solo trip on the Camino de Santiago. And the majority of the book is focusing on that. There have been lots of books written about and films about the Camino de Santiago. I was much more familiar with it than the Japanese uh, pilgrimage. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's not. I, I'd read the book The Pilgrimage by Paolo Cohilo before. That one, he's very rigorous pilgrim. He undertakes different feats of endurance and uh, pushes himself, maybe even causes himself quite significant pain. In this book, it's not really like that. Sibley is a little more measured. It, uh, he does journey the whole Camino and talks about that. He starts in France and goes all the way to Santiago de Compostela in uh, Spain, where St. James is, is believed to be buried. Camino might take maybe, I don't know, at least a month or more. And um, the Japanese one sort of took longer, but Sibley is uh, definitely an interesting writer. He A lot of it's reflecting on his personal, I don't know, his personal encounters and uh, a lot of the simple things that he does. Uh, it's, it's kind of very reflective. Talks a lot about the different refugios where pilgrims stay and all the kinds of encounters. Uh, a lot of it's to do with his encounters with other pilgrims in the Bonzi forms and how he maybe meets them at various points on the Camino de Santiago again and it's kind of like a serendipity. He also has encounters with different animals and experiences in these villages and towns where he might uh, have some sense of the divine or the spiritual uh, life in some of these churches and, and even the scenery of the Camino which you know 
may be challenging at times. He writes that the first leg of the Camino is actually the most challenging and many people kind of give up at the beginning because it's very tough maybe the first several days but then once you get going he kind of forgets uh, his pain and at first he has blisters and all kinds of things and uh, very sore and he wonders towards the end of the book why he didn't do this when he was younger his first time he's you know he had a maybe a teenage son he was an older person and the Camino really tested his uh, willingness to go on in the, at the very beginning got lots of blisters and find it hard to go he even cheated a bit taking a few taxis occasionally or uh, but not as much as in the Japanese one the Japanese one he was more tied up with another couple but in this one a lot of it's walking alone a lot more people probably do the Camino it's talks about the history of the Camino and how it kind of came back into fashion how it was very popular in the Middle Ages and how it came back into fashion in more recent times it definitely sounds like an interesting thing to do it may have become kind of commercialized some interesting things occur towards the end of the book when he kind of reflects on his life and the meaning of pilgrimage and uh, just what the whole thing uh, means to him personally I would recommend the book it's um, definitely pretty interesting I know there's probably a lot on this subject and maybe some people like that I, I think maybe the I found the Way of the Idiot Temple is a little deeper, but I did like learning something about the Camino, and I hope you check out that book, uh, The Way of the Stars, by Robert C. Sibley. This is Mark A. for the Reflections, and before I was talking about the year I spent, approximately a year, in Warsaw, Poland, teaching English, and how that was kind of difficult because towards the end I'd been demoted, didn't really have that much work at the school I was with, and looking for work at other schools, but finding it challenging due to the financial crisis, and also dealing with some personal problems related to uh, uh, this kind of rejection I had, but also the state of the world, and a little bit of despair. And luckily I found a job in Krakow, Poland, and I went there in November of 2009. And uh, Krakow proved to be, uh, overall when I look back on it, a little more manageable than Warsaw, a little better. I went to a school, it was a fairly well-known language school in uh, Krakow, and it was winter when I went there. And when I got there, you know, I learned that I would be teaching a lot of classes with um, young people. Some people were probably, I don't know, quite young. I taught some teenagers, quite a few teenagers, which was a challenge. But there were some that were younger than that. They were probably adolescents, I would say. Um, this proved challenging. I wouldn't say I was the greatest at teaching that uh, age level. Some of them are really uh, difficult students. They had... Uh, I don't know, behavioral problems, but they were making life very difficult for me. And it was very hard to kind of get their attention. I, I really did struggle with that. Uh, luckily, I wasn't demoted at that school or anything like that. But I did have a couple of classes taken away from me, which was unfortunate. But, uh, you know, I was teaching something called the Certificate for Advanced English, I believe it was called. And 
this is kind of an intense course. I didn't even really know about much of that. This was an adult's course, but at the same time, I was a bit in over my head on this, and uh, really I didn't do well with uh, with that class. In fact, I really did well with one-on-ones, like I said before, and I did get a few here and there one-on-one -on -one classes at the school. That school is actually paying me per, I think per hour, or maybe per hour or something that I build, so it's a little different, but the money I was making would have been the same had I continued with my permanent contract in Warsaw. But again, if they cut classes, it's kind of difficult. Uh, I think the the school, there was some administrative uh, issues where I think the school didn't like to fire people, but at the same time, um, they kind of made people quit almost by just reducing their hours. It wasn't always the most pleasant place just because of some of the some administrative issues, but there were some nice people there I met. Polish teachers and foreign teachers alike. I had a sort of a friendship with an older man. He might have been in his 70s or something. He's quite old. He was kind of the director there. Uh, he was from, I believe, England, but he'd lived in all kinds of places, including China, Saudi Arabia, maybe some other places I'm forgetting. He was an interesting person. I don't know. I still remember him, uh, a lot of them. In Krakow, I had a roommate, which was unusual. I don't think I'd had a roommate before that. My roommate was very different than me. He was a bit of a, you know what you want to say, type A personality or a little bit of a a jock type. And uh, we were different, very different. It was interesting. I wouldn't say we were best friends, but it was definitely interesting to live with this uh, person. Even in Krakow, I was a little withdrawn. I didn't always go out as much as I could have. I stayed a lot to myself. When I first moved to Krakow, I was dealing with a relationship I was in with a girl in Warsaw, but we were trying to do long distance, but then it proved very difficult. We stopped speaking to each other, and it just wasn't good. She had some problems. She was a bit intense. Maybe she pushed herself very hard and a bit reckless, maybe. It was kind of a difficult relationship, so... I think it just, at some point, it just ended. She was supposed to come visit me at Christmas in Krakow, and it never really happened, so I had to spend Christmas alone for one of the few times that's happened, but that is what it is, I guess. So at least I adjusted to the school and the challenges. Uh, we also did some classes in a place called Boknia, which is maybe an hour's drive from Krakow. It's a town, probably interesting place. They have a nice church there. It's a nice little square and it's it's kind of a quaint place. They have a, a salt mine there which is sort of still a, being used maybe not for mining but it's being used for like a sanatorium. I don't know what you will call the word where people might go for healing. There's lots of salt mines in that part of Poland including a famous salt mine near Krakow Velitska salt mine if you're ever in Krakow. This is the most famous one in the country. It's a very big tourist attraction. It's just outside of Krakow. Uh, I would recommend that. They have a chapel there, which is like very interesting because uh, it's all made out of salt. Everything is made out of the salt there. It's quite a big place. I did go in there. Bachnia was interesting. Some interesting students there. At one point, I got a tour of Bachnia by the students. It was quite interesting. 
Krakow has a lot of, I like churches, maybe you've heard that before on the podcast, I'm not sure, but in Krakow, I found the, the variety of churches among the best in the world, really. They have churches of all different types, I mean, they're, obviously most of them are Catholic, but at the same time, they feel different, and they look different, and there's a lot of them in the city center, and also just outside of the city center. There's an interesting place in Krakow, Nova Huta, which was the communist kind of, I guess it's part of Krakow at the time, but it may be a suburb where it was built in the communist style. It's kind of an interesting place to walk around. Very different. And they have a church there, which is kind of like built into, I don't know what you say, it's like almost sunken under the ground or something. It's very claustrophobic, but it was built in, I don't know, in the 50s or something, but very interesting place they near my house in Krakow they also had uh, these mounds I think it's called Kopiak or Kopiets and there's one Kopiets Kopasuzi Kopa I think it's called near near my house these mounds were I don't know some of them were for military purposes and I don't know what if they all were there's three of them in Krakow two of them are fairly easy to access and big one of them smaller and more difficult the Kopakuzi one is like a, a military one, and it was within walking distance of my house. Probably only a 15-minute walk or something. Interesting. It's on the top of a hill. And also near my house, when I walked, a little outside of the downtown, though, when I walked, there was a kind of a, an old quarry which had been uh, turned into kind of a lake, and, and you could walk all around the outskirts of it, and it was like a nature area. And that that was really cool. I'm just not sure off the top of my head what it's called, but I used to go there regularly, like at least once a week, walk around that area. Krakow has a nice main square as well, St. Mary's Church in the main square. Food is a little more rustic in Krakow, and food they're eating, stuff like schnitzel and potatoes, red cabbage, borscht, and very wholesome at the same time it's you know nothing too exciting in a way I find it maybe a little a lot of dairy and a lot of I don't know is it salt maybe some sugar too the food maybe not that healthy in some way but it is interesting I feel like Krakow is maybe a little more less continental than more so but I did enjoy my time teaching in Krakow I managed in April of 2000 and, uh, when was it, 2009, to visit April and May. In April I visited Prague and the Czech Republic, and in May I visited Slovakia. I'll talk about the Czech Republic. It was Easter, and it was a weird trip because I'd been visiting this uh, Thai massage place, which is run by, I think Thai people actually do the thing. It was interesting. They have an interesting kind of way of doing it there. But at the same time, I did have a friendship with the girl that was a secretary or a, I don't know what you call it, a desk person there. Still sort of keep in touch with her. I kept going there regularly, but just before I went to Prague, I had a massage with a hot compress, and that somehow opened up things for me somehow, and I was all like, maybe sort of something close to a, small psychotic episode almost it was very difficult to manage i was my body felt very relaxed but my mind was going a million miles an hour so i had this when i went to krakow or prague and i couldn't really enjoy fully uh, my experience in prague because of this 
Prague is a it's a beautiful place. Uh, one of my favorite things to do in a city is just to get off the tourist track, the beaten path, go somewhere a little more local, and interact with locals. In China, that's always my favorite thing, and uh, and other countries too. One of my memories is going to just outside the city center uh, main area. There was a almost like a diner place that catered to maybe working class people. I don't know. And uh, I just went in there. I knew a bit of the language just because it's something similar to Polish. But went in there and it was it was an experience. The, f the food there is, is a little more s sweet, maybe even, even more savory too. I think the food is better in the Czech Republic. It's it's a little more tasty than Poland, but that's one of my memories. Prague has some interesting churches too. It's a beautiful city. Krakow feels a little more rough around the edges, a little more worn down. Krakow is a very one of the most probably beautiful cities I've seen. At the same time, it's hard to compare because I lived in Krakow and I have that experience where Prague I just visited for maybe four or five days. So. I stayed at an interesting place, I'll recommend it, the Hostel Marabou. And a couple other nights I stayed somewhere else, which wasn't as good, I can't even remember what it's called. The Marabou is very uh, interesting, uh, nice place on the top of a hill, near the top of a hill, just outside the, near the train station. I like Prague. And uh, in May I visited Slovakia, it's very different. When I first visited Krakow, I found it an ad for a hostel in Slovakia near the border with Poland and I decided I would go there at that point in May it was in a place called Zidjar which is I don't know an hour from the border or something at that time you could go to Zakopane which is like the the mountain town and I spent an afternoon there but I transited to a bus which took me into Slovakia it may, it might, maybe an hour and a half from Zakopane, and Zidjar is like a small place. Not many people live there. It's more of a village, but at the same time, uh, several years, this was in 2010 that I was in Zidjar, but so a few years before that, they'd like bought a, uh, this old, I don't know, ha cabin, house, and converted it into a hostel. Maybe it could fit like 30 people in there or something, called the Ginger Monkey Hostel. One of my favorite hostels. There's not that village has become a more because of the hostel, more of a tourist place at this point. They even have a pizza place there, and it was very nice. I got to know the people that stayed there. They often did communal things there because there's not much to do there. The nearest big town is called Poprad, maybe an hour's bus ride, just under an hour's bus ride away. There's a lot of nature walks there too, and uh, you could walk the dog called Wally there. It was pretty nice. It was in the Tatra Mountains, very beautiful uh, scenery. One day I was supposed to go to a, a kind of a lake district, but the bus driver stopped, didn't uh, drop me off there. So I asked to go to Poprad because I was going to go there the next day anyway. And in Poprad I found there wasn't much to do. It was a little industrial maybe or not too exciting, a bit run down. And I had some time to kill in the afternoon. So I went to the train station and there was a kind of a map of the area and I just decided to go to a place I had no idea what it was. It's called Spisky Nova Ves. It's like an, a town, um, some beautiful buildings there. It's kind of a quaint place. It was maybe 
20 minute train ride from Paprat. I don't know. I just chose that. When I noticed uh, there, I got off the train a little before the city because I noticed a lot of Roma people on the train and getting off the train. And it's very interesting in that part of, I guess, Slovakia, a lot of Roma people. And even when I came back to the train station that late afternoon, there were Roma people there talking to me and said I had beautiful eyes and things like that. I still remember that. It's quite fascinating. I've never interacted with them before. Some of them looked like they were homeless or not not very well uh, taken care of, but and they may be uh, alcoholics too, but it was an interesting conversation. And that was Slovakia. So in Krakow, I don't know, I was looking into things uh, when I left Krakow. I, I actually was thinking of giving up because I was having a hard time as a teacher those past few years, including struggling with these students in Krakow. I don't know if I liked the format of teaching by a book and, you know, it was kind of challenging. I, again, I thrive better with a smaller group. When you had like 15 people, it was kind of troubling for me. So at, at that time I was looking into, well, maybe I could uh, teach somewhere else. And I'd actually found, got in contact with a school in Morocco. I thought the weather would be better too. And maybe I could see... And uh, this school is in, there was a chain of language schools. I applied for a couple of them, but eventually I just decided I would go accept a job in Casablanca, Morocco. In a future podcast, we'll hear more about uh, how I struggled to decide whether I wanted to go to Morocco. But uh, we'll hear more about my experiences there in a, in a future podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing about my time in Poland. It was definitely, Poland's definitely an interesting uh, country, and I met many interesting people. Very, some very genuine people there, I find, uh, very honest. Uh, again, I liked certain people that were more of a bohemian type. Uh, they seemed very sophisticated. I didn't really talk about it, but Krakow is a, I'll mention it here, Krakow is uh, the city I found the most for the cinema. There were cinemas of all types, including the, the more mainstream ones, but there were also a lot of independent cinemas. There was a cinema right downtown. There were also cinemas that looked like they were in someone's uh, house or living room or something. There was one. And there were others that were more independent. They had film premieres there and stuff. People came. I remember in one movie called Redland, which people probably never heard of, but there was a director, I think, uh, came to that premiere. And I saw all kinds of other movies. And they were all in English in Poland with subtitles. Some countries, they don't even do that. But Poland's like that. I think that part of Europe is like that. I really enjoyed Krakow and the cinema and stuff. Poland, I like the geography. You have the kind of the mountains in the south. And you have the rivers. And then you have some, I don't know. And you go up to Warsaw, you have more, say, more of the forest in that area. And, you know... And then you go somewhere like Gdansk, you're on the Baltic uh, coast, and then you have like kind of the Lake District as well, uh, Missouri, and some other things I probably haven't visited, but definitely interesting geography. I really did like my time in Poland, uh, despite the difficulties. It'd be, I haven't been back since 2010. It'd be interesting to go back now, because I'm probably in a better place than I was when I left, but... We'll hear more about, I don't know, hear more about the summer of 2010 and 
my experiences in Morocco in a later podcast. This is Mark A. for the reflections. Take care. There's nothing in my head today. Nothing awful there to ponder or confuse me. Go ahead and what you have to say. And I will listen as I listen to the Well, that does it for another episode. Just a reminder, the website for this podcast is furtherreflections.net. There you can find the episode archive. You can find more about myself. You can support the podcast. 
and you can see the archive of my previous podcast, Reflections On. Thanks for listening.